mission here is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. And our vision for doing that is being broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. Uh, Before we proceed uh, with our service this morning, I have just a couple of announcements to share with you all. Uh, One, we are having our next youth gathering uh, for those that that pertains to next week, immediately after the worship service, um, but there will not be one today. Secondly, um, our last session for officer candidate training is also next Sunday. Please be praying for the men who are going through that um, as we seek to wrap that up and go through the the next steps of that. And then lastly, um, we have a congregational meeting for members on the 23rd at 5 p.m. It will be in person here at the church and also on Zoom, but we really want you to know, if at all possible, please come uh, in person. Uh, We have number of topics to go over and we just would like to all be together as much as possible so please come to that and those are all the announcements i have so hear these words of preparation as we proceed into worship from second thessalonians 2 16 and 17 now may our lord jesus christ himself and god our father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Let's have just a moment of silent preparation now. still internally as well as um, externally to know that and, and taking the moment to know that you are God uh, and to letting that sink in as we go forward in this service uh, being gathered together to, to worship and to hear your word and to pray together and fellowship I pray that all of this would work together to form our lives in a way that's oriented towards you more and more. Thank you that you're about the business of transforming those people who follow you and that we would participate in that uh, by faith and trusting you. Um, I pray for any areas of our hearts uh, and our lives that are distracting us or keeping us uh, or that we've set up in opposition to you. 
you would tear those down, focus us on you, and not just for this morning, um, but just continue to do the work of wrecking and rebuilding our lives in a way that is um, to your glory. I give you praise and I give you thanks. Thank you for everybody who is gathered here or who will watch this service, that you would do a work in all of our hearts together. We couldn't help but say, it's you who've done this. We thank you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's stand for our call to worship. Our call to worship is taken from the song, All Creatures of Our God and King. All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and sing with us and sing, Alleluia, Alleluia. Thou burning sun with golden beam, thou silver moon with softer gleam, Oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. Alleluia. 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 Let all things their creator bless and worship him in humbleness. Oh, praise him. Alleluia. Praise. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. And praise the Spirit. Three in one. Oh, praise him. Oh, praise him. Alleluia. 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 Maybe seated. We now want to go into a, a, a time of confession today, uh, where we uh, confess our sins uh, together, and uh, we do that by looking at James chapter one verse fifteen. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, bring forth brings forth death. Let's go uh, in a moment of silent repentance. us and took it 
salvation and to save us, us sinners, while we were yet in sin. receive your assurance of pardon from Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 indeed under the law almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin Uh, let's approach the throne of grace again in a prayer of thanksgiving God our, our father you God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You keep steadfast love for thousands. You forgive iniquity and transgression and sin, but you are a God who is by no means guilty. God, since that is your character, we put our hope and our trust and our faith in you. And God, to know you means that we have so much to be thankful for. To, to have a sense of your presence in our lives and within our body is, is, is something to give thanks for. To know that there are men and women who are sitting in this building right now who have been saved from eternal separation from you is something to be thankful for. So God, we praise you and thank you for the finished work that has been applied to our lives. We thank you that you have been our provision. You have been our provider. You, uh, by the power of your spirit, have been our comforter and our guide. Lord, even when things look bleak and when the light is dim, we acknowledge you and thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your love, for your kindness, and for your mercies, which are new every morning. Lord, we even thank you for for the simple fact that You are a just God, and that evil does not escape you. And we thank you that your your wrath was poured out on Christ on the behalf of the church, and that also evil will be eternally punished. All of the sin that was not borne by Christ on the cross, it doesn't escape you. Nobody gets over on you. So we thank you that you are... A God who is loving and just and you take sin and evil seriously. You made a way for your church. So God, we thank you. We thank you for another uh, time, another moment to gather with our brothers and sisters, to see smiling faces. We thank you for the reality that we just may be turning a corner uh, in light of this pandemic that we've been suffering through. We thank you that you have provided means for us to get past, to start to begin to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And so, Lord, we thank you for smiling faces. We thank you for good health and strength. Lord, we thank you that we can rejoice and look forward to the day that we we will see you face to face. God, we thank you for the truth of the gospel that is applied to our lives. It is in your name we pray, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, The text upon which the sermon today is based 
is Matthew 13, 53 through chapter 14, verse 13. Again, that is Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 15, excuse me, beginning at verse 53, going through chapter 14, ending at verse 13. This is God's word. Please listen carefully. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. At that time, Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. Though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry. Because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot. Is the word of the Lord. Thanks. It's good to be back in front of you. It was great having some, some time off. I thank you so much for that time and also happy uh, Mother's Day to all the mothers uh, that are here. Happy Mother's Day to you, and for those of you that this, for those of you that are sad on this day, please know that our Father is the God of all comfort, and He can comfort you in your grief and your sadness on this day. So again, thank you so much for being here. Those of you that are tuning in on Facebook Live, thank you so much for being here, and if you are a guest, thank you so much for for being here as well. 
in a in the novel the the orchard the writer writes whether we like it or not we all come from some place and at some point in our lives we have to make peace with that place please take a moment to re- reflect on those words let them uh, take you on a journey you know back to that some place wherever that place may be whether you like it or not all of you come from some place and at some point in your lives y'all have to make peace with that place have you made peace with the place that you come from or are you still at war with that place this morning I'm going to lead y'all to another kind of place. Uh, the place is called the way, which is actually a person, and that person is Jesus Christ himself. And here's my main point today. So if you take notes and uh, for the sermon, then please jot this down. How you view the place of the way will lead you to reject it or surrender to it. How y'all view the place of the way will lead you to rejection or to surrender. So how do y'all view the place of the way? We shall see. But before then, please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, as I um, pray each time I stand before God's beloved people, I pray that you will move that you would take these words of mine and, and apply it to, to, to my heart and, and apply it to the hearts of everyone that is here in this building and to everyone that is tuning in on Facebook Live. Spirit preaching has no power apart from you. It does not. Lives are not changed. People are not convicted. Hearts are not broken. Hearts are not encouraged if you do not move. People are not rescued from their, from sin if you don't change and move. So Holy Spirit, you know what, what, what each of us need. You know the things that we are dealing with. You know the things that, that keep us awake at night. You know and you see. So my prayer is, is that you will help us to see. We're not alone in it. We're not by ourselves in it. We're not orphans in it. We're not navigating the spaces as pagans. We are the beloved. Beloved sons and daughters of a good father. And I pray that each of us as we worship and as we receive the word, we we will see the Father's hands extending out to us. Loving hands. Merciful hands. And that we will find rest there. And peace. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 52, 
uh, that shows Jesus teaching the crowd, teaching crowds of people in parables about the kingdom of heaven. And in verse 53, a transition in the gospel occurs. It's, it's introduced with, with these words, and it came about that. That phrase carries Matthew's gospel along to another section. It comes about that, that Jesus leaves the place by the sea in verse 1. It comes about that Jesus leaves the house that, that he enters into in verse 36. It, it comes about that after Jesus finishes teaching the people in parables, he leaves the area and travels to his hometown. He goes back home. He heads back to, to Nazareth for, for a second time, but, but this time he, his disciples are with him. And the plan on this visit, saints, it's the same plan that he had on the first visit, that he's going to preach and teach in the local synagogue. He's going to minister there. He's going to bring God's word to the people. And he's going to preach to people he grew up with in that small town. Because, you know, Jesus just didn't come out 33 years old. He was a baby and grew so he's going to teach people who knew, who knows his earthly family. He's going to teach people who, who watch him grow from, from early childhood to middle childhood to adolescence and to adulthood. I hope y'all know what this means. The hometown people in Nazareth, they know Jesus. They're familiar with Jesus. And for them, the way... It's a familiar place. And a familiar place is one way you can view the way. And here's the thing about the familiar place. The familiar place is dangerous because you assume you know all there is to know about some person, some issue, some topic. You think you got it all figured out. Think about it. What familiar places are you living in today? When it comes to Jesus, when it comes to his church, when it comes to the village church and, and her leadership, when it comes to America, when it comes to our government, when it comes to issues of race and justice, what are your familiar places? When it comes to Jesus, are you stuck in a familiar place? Remember, saints, the familiar place can be dangerous because you assume you know all there is to know. You assume that. I'm no, I ain't going to get no amens today, am I? The, the local town folk in Nazareth, they, they believe they know all they need to know about Jesus because they're familiar with him. They're familiar with him and they're familiar with his family. That's why their initial response to Jesus' teaching and works is, is astonishment. Look at, look at verse 54. And coming to his hometown, he taught, he began to teach in the synagogues. So they were astonished. Their, their astonishment is, is their initial response to, to Jesus' teaching. They're fiberglassed, fiberglassed, saints, dumbfounded. They're shocked. They're watching and listening to Jesus with their mouths wide open, like, wow. Minds completely blown away. And they asked themselves, where did this man get this wisdom and, the, and these mighty works? Where did it come from? 
can, can y'all see what's getting ready to happen? What's getting ready to go down in Nazareth? If you don't see it, I'm going to tell you. The town folks' familiarity with Jesus is on a collision course with what they're currently seeing from him as he ministers in Nazareth. Because again, in Matthew 24, in Matthew 4, verse 24, and Matthew 9, verse 31, tells us, sorry, tells us that the news about Jesus spreads throughout the area. Reports about him spreads throughout the region. His whole fame about him. People are talking about Jesus. All the wonderful things that he's doing. Do you, do you, do you, I hope you know those same reports work back to Nazareth. They just didn't stay where he was. The hometown folk know about these stories too. They know about it. It's gotten, words gotten back. And so what they hear about Jesus and what they are seeing from Jesus right now doesn't match up with what they know about Jesus. Because, because we agree, you think you know Jesus, but do you? The stories and, and what they see don't match up with what they saw from Jesus when he was younger in the village, working alongside his daddy, growing up with his brothers and sisters. The truth who Jesus really is interferes with their familiarity with Jesus. They don't know what to make of this new Jesus standing before them, teaching them, doing all these mighty works. So confusion rains down on them. Resistance begins to blossom, and they fall deeper and deeper into the familiar place. Again, the familiar place is dangerous. Because you there, you assume you know all there is to know about some people, some issues, some topic, some ideology, some tribe of people. Again, are you stuck in a familiar place? The townspeople are stuck and don't know it. You see, the next four questions they, they ask about Jesus reveals to us that they are stuck in the familiar place. Look at verses 55 and 56. They ask, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? The answer to all these questions are yes. Are not his brothers James and, and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? Again, the answer is yes. Jesus is from Nazareth. And his whole family still lives there. They haven't relocated. Joseph is still the village carpenter. And when I think about these questions, here's my view of the townspeople. They are nice, nasty. People in the South are good at being nice, nasty. They're nice, nasty. Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor Alex? I'm going to tell you. I read an article this week by um, the Reverend Sherry Smith Claiborne, and, and the title of her article is, Nice Nasty is Just Nasty. She writes, Nice Nasty is a phrase that I have heard used even in the church. Nice Nasty occurs when, when someone acts in a way that on the surface can be perceived as nice. However, its root and motivation and execution are nasty. It is a form of, of passive-aggressive behavior 
taking what is unacceptable and putting icing, icing on it. It is an excuse for being rude, uncaring, and pseudo-professional. The town people are insulting Jesus and his family by asking these questions. Where did Jesus get all this wisdom and all these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James, Joseph, and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? There's nothing special about these people. There's nothing special about his daddy. Nothing special about his mama. Nothing special about his siblings. This family is not extra extraordinary. They're not unique. They're not highly educating upper, upper class folk. They're regular. They're mundane. They're ordinary people just like us. They're a village family just like us. They're from Nazareth just like us. And so is Jesus. He's one of us. He's just like us. He's from Nazareth, just like us. And as some outsiders would say, can anything good come from Nazareth? So where did this man get all these things? Because we know he didn't get it from his family. We know he didn't get it from this village. Just look at him. Just look at him. The oldest son. Leaves his family and village behind. Then he comes strolling back here with an entourage trying to teach us, trying to preach to us. Who does he think he is? The carpenter's boy has forgotten where he comes from. Mary's son thinks he's better than us. Has he lost his everlasting mind? See, the town people, the townspeople, they move from astonishment by Jesus to being offended by him. Because they only see him as one of them, not someone who is also different than them. And they're stuck in the familiar place. And the familiar place is a dangerous place when you assume you know all that is to know about Jesus. And so they reject him. You would think being in a familiar place will lead you to accept Jesus. No, it leads them to reject him. And as one theologian says, Jesus does not fit into the categories. So they reject him. What categories do you want Jesus to fit in? What categories have you put him in? So Jesus says to his hometown folk, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, in his own household because of their unbelief jesus doesn't do many mighty deeds in nazareth the town again the townspeople assume they know all they need to know and their familiarity with jesus hinders them from believing in him and receiving his word it fuels their unbelief and and, and guess and saints and guests uh, there's nothing jesus can do to convince them otherwise their mind is already made up He's just a carpenter's son from Nazareth, pretending to be something he's not. But what they don't realize, he's more than a carpenter's son. He's more than that. He's more than just a man. He's more than just the categories you put him in. 
please know that you cannot contain Jesus in all your theology books. Now, there's some good theology books, but if you think they contain all who he is, then you don't understand the Jesus I know. The infinite cannot be contained by the finite. Cannot. That makes us God. Same level as him. We're not on that level, even though we're created in his image. We're not. Many of you grew up in the church and in a Christian home, which means Jesus is a familiar place for you. The way is a familiar place. You're familiar with the Sunday school lessons about him. You're familiar with his teachings and his miracles. You're familiar with his ways. You're familiar with his church. You're familiar with Christian theology. You're, you're familiar with the Bible. But here's the truth of the matter. Familiarity does not equal saving faith. It does not. I can go to seminary, get all the degrees I want, and learn all I need to learn about Jesus. That doesn't mean I know him. I hope you realize there are critical scholars who write commentaries on the Bible. And they are not Christians. They're just biblical scholars. But they know the Bible. They can quote it. They wrote a nice commentary on it. But they don't have faith in Jesus. They are just scholars. I hope you realize that. So you can have all the familiarity with him as you want. But that doesn't mean you know him. Doesn't mean you love him. Just because you're familiar with his ways and his teachings doesn't mean he's your Lord and Savior. Just because you grew up in the South and live in the South doesn't make you a believer. I have to unconvert people here in the South to show them they're not even a Christian, to convert them. And because you self-identify as a conservative or progressive Christian doesn't mean you love Jesus. Those things don't mean nothing. So some of you are stuck in the familiar place and don't even know it. And you're rejecting Jesus and don't even see it. And so all you got to do is ask the Holy Spirit, show me how I'm in the familiar place. Show me how I'm blind to some aspect of who Jesus is. Because, again, some of us who read theology and know theology, we think we got it all figured out. But trust me, we do not. We do not. You can go in my office. I got tons of books in there. But does that doesn't mean anything if Jesus does not have my heart. He doesn't have my life. The hometown folks in Nazareth, they believe they know all they need to know about Jesus. Simply because they watched him grow up. Simply because he was raised there with them. And when Jesus begins to reveal something about himself that doesn't match up with what they know, they get confused, they start to resist, and rejection isn't far behind. And again, where are you this morning? How do you respond when Jesus does something that doesn't fit into your familiar place? How do you respond? It, it, put it this way, is Jesus allowed to do something in your life that you cannot understand? Is he allowed to do something in other people's lives that you don't understand? 
part of our problem sometimes is that we're too arrogant and self-righteous because we think my tribe and my Christian group, we have all the right answers. But those Christians, they're in the wrong. Who does that sound like to you? Starts with a P, and they got on Jesus' nerves. Who are they? Pharisees. Because they thought they knew it all too, but they missed Jesus in the process. How do you respond when he reveals something about himself that doesn't fit in your tribe's view of him? Is it surrender or rejection? Please don't let your familiarity with Jesus deceive you and deceive you into believing you fully know that know all there is to know about him. Christianity is highly supernatural. But we try to make it into just a book, a theology book, and we lose the personhood of Christ in the process sometimes. You cannot exhaust your knowledge of Jesus, no matter how familiar you, be, familiar you become with him throughout your life. You cannot. There's still more that you can learn about him. There's still more he can do in your life. We, we, we want to go away with the mysteries of our faith and the supernatural aspect of it. But that's part of what Christianity is. The fact that the Holy Spirit lives in you there ain't no theologian can explain how that make any kind of sense. Cannot. Three in one God, Trinity? Really? Do we really understand how that works? Come on, no, we don't. Because it's supernatural. But it's still real and true because the Bible says so. And just because you don't understand something in the Bible doesn't mean it's not true. Do you realize that there are missionaries in other countries who are seeing God work in ways that he doesn't work here? That, that there are stories about how God has spoken to some people in dreams and they go and tell them to go meet this person and they go and that person is standing there. Do I hope you realize that stuff happens in certain places of the world? Is it a lie? Because you're not experiencing it? Are these missionaries lying? It's happening. God is at work. And sometimes outside of the box you put in there but never outside of his word, okay? But never outside of his word. Jesus doesn't live in a familiar place with you. Now, your Plato Jesus may live there. Your Americanized Jesus may live there. But a real authentic Jesus does not. He does not. Romans 11, 33 through verses 25, through verse 25 says, Oh, the depths of the riches of wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Please, you know what that means, don't you? You cannot figure him out. The fact that we know God means he has condescended to us so that we can know him. 
That's the only reason why we know him. He has allowed us to. But it doesn't mean you are going to fully be able to comprehend who he is in his essence. Because he told Moses, no man can see men live. We can't, we can't handle it. You think Jack Nicholson was telling the truth, you can't handle the truth? Well, we can't handle that truth. We would die if we saw him in all of his glory. That's how big our God is. Is he big to you? Or is he someone that you can control, that bends to what you want, that fits into your agenda and your plans and and, and your categories? That's no God at all. It was a puppet, a golden calf, but it's not Yahweh Elohim. It's not Yahweh Elohim. After Jesus then it's telling his home crowd that a prophet is not without honor except in his own household and <coughs> hometown. He continues to minister in Nazareth without doing many mighty works, except he, he lays hands on a few people and heals a few people. But eventually he leaves Nazareth and goes around teaching from village to village. And then later on, as, as, the, as the gospel continues, the word about Jesus' ministry and words and deeds Reports about who he is and what he's doing makes its way to the ears of people in positions of power. Think about it. Don't gloss over it. Jesus' growing reputation and fame doesn't just stay local. Do you honestly think this man is raising people from the dead, okay? You don't think that that stuff's going to reach people in positions of power? It does. It doesn't go unnoticed by the powers that be. So his fame and reputation gets the attention of, of someone in power. It gets the attention of a Roman governor. Herod Antipas is the one who gets attention of him. And for, and for him, the way is a fearful place. Not a familiar place, but a familiar, a fearful place. Look at verses, look at, verse, look at chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. At that time when Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, notice what it says, fame of Jesus. He said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous works or powers are at work in him. See, at this point, John the Baptist is already dead when Herod makes his response about the fame of Jesus. And everything that happens in in verses 3 through 12 are, are flashbacks. If you ever seen a movie and they flash back in time, to give you some context, that is what Matthew is doing here about John's death. He reveals to us that Herod rejected John the Baptist because John spoke truth to power. He did. He called Herod out from divorcing his wife. And then this brother had the nerve to go take his brother's wife as his own while his brother is still alive. His brother's not dead. <laughs> But you gotta, th- you gotta be on something to go take your brother's wife and make her your wife. And this is why John says to him, "It's not lawful for you to have her. She's your brother's wife." And Herod did not like it. Didn't appreciate John the Baptist challenging his decision. 
So he seized John and bound him and threw him in prison. And he wanted to kill John. But because he feared the people, he did not. Because the people saw John as a prophet. But however, on one of Herod's birthdays, his new wife handled him, maneuvered him into beheading John. And so we go back to the present tense in verses 1 and 2. We see now that Herod is afraid because he thinks Jesus is actually John the Baptist raised from the dead. The governor is afraid. This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That's why these miraculous powers are at work within him. The fearful place leads John, leads Herod to reject Jesus, and it leads him to seek Jesus' life. He does. Listen to this inter, inter, interaction between Jesus and some Pharisees in Luke 13, verses 31 and 32. Luke writes, at that very hour, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said, get away from here. Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Like Herod, people today See Jesus as a fearful place, a place that cannot be trusted, a place that's a threat, a place that must be discredited and proven to be false. The way becomes a fearful place to some people when it starts speaking truth to power. It becomes a fearful place when it starts calling sin, sin, when it starts calling evil, evil. It becomes a, a fearful place when, when, when it starts challenging the status quo, when it starts calling attention to injustice and systemic brokenness in our country. It becomes a fearful place, it, it, even within the church in America, when it starts calling her out from preaching the Christian nationalist gospel. All right, get no amens now, am I? That's okay. The way is fearful for people who want a Savior without a Lord. It's a fearful place if you want a savior without a Lord, if you want a redeemer without a king. It becomes a fearful place when it begins to exercise authority and lordship over your life, over your money, over your church, over your family, over your relationships, over your politics, over your view of sex, over your view of government. It becomes a fearful place when, when it starts exercising lordship over your gender and sexuality. Many people can't handle the lordship of Christ because they want to stay in control. And for those people, the lordship of Christ will feel toxic, abusive, unloving, oppressive, and judgmental. And Jesus might just get counseled. Because people can't handle what it means to be under his lordship. Because he can't be your savior if he can't be your lord. He's not going to be your redeemer if he's not going to also be your king. It's both and. You don't get to pick and choose. This is not a buffet line. This is not golden corral. This is Jesus. It's both. Just like Herod in our text can't handle it. He fears Jesus. And he tries to cancel Jesus in his own way. Like the cancel culture been around a long time. Ain't just started. And at some point and somehow, Jesus learns that Herod thinks he's John the Baptist, resurrected from the dead. Because you can read verse, the beginning of verse 
of verse 13 and think that part is referring to the backslash. What happens in verse 13, it refers back to verses 1 and 2. So when Jesus learns that Herod thinks his, he's John the Baptist resurrected, it says Jesus leaves, gets in a boat, and goes to a desolate place. He withdraws from the area. And for a, this desolate place is a solitude from the noise around him. He goes there to be by himself, to commune with his father's to be still, to be quiet, to reflect, to rest, to get some peace of mind. You see, Jesus' actions here shows me that, that the way is actually a freedom place, not a fearful place or a familiar place. It's a place of freedom. Do you really want freedom? According to Jesus, not me. When you see the way as a place of freedom, you will surrender to it and not reject it. And Christ's hands are extending out to you for the first time, for the second time, or for the 100th time. Please take hold of that. Please take hold of that. If you don't have saving faith in Jesus today, then, then you will not, then the way will not be a place of freedom to you. It might be a familiar place or it might be a fearful place, but it won't be freedom. Give your life to Christ now. Confess him as Lord and Savior. Repent of your sins and surrender and submit to him. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And if you know him, if you've been walking with Jesus for years, you do go to, to, through times of spiritual dryness. You do go through times where you wander from, from him. And his hands are extending out to you as well. He says to you, come home, beloved. Come home. Come be still. Come rest. Come receive peace of mind. Galatians 5, 5 says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. He's given you this freedom. Christian theologian John Calvin writes, We learn how wide is the difference between the knowledge of the goodness and the knowledge of the power of God. Power strikes men with terror, makes them flee or fly from the presence of God. Drives them to to a to to as a, at a distance from him, but goodness draws them gently and makes them feel that nothing is more desirable than to be united with God. Saints and guests, Jesus is powerful, but he's also good. Amen. Jesus is the good place. Now, like the TV show, pretending to be the good place was actually the bad place. He's good. And he's not pretending to be good. He's truly good, without deception. And the way is a good place that can be trusted with every area of your life. All he said is just, just release control to me. Release control to me. Trust me. If he's made a way to deal with your sin, 
you don't think he can make a way for the thing you're trying to hold on to, the thing that you're trying to control? Give Jesus some credit. Give him some credit. Remember the quote that I said at the beginning of the sermon. Whether we like it or not, we all come from some place. And at some point in your life, you have to make peace with that some place. And I'm telling you, Jesus helps you make that peace. Now, you may have to go to counseling. You might need to get on medication, depending upon what it is. But he can help you make peace with the places that you come from. Please pray with me. Lord, I thank you that the place of the way is a place of freedom, and it is a good place. Now, we all struggle with the familiar place and the fearful place. We do struggle with it, even as Christians. But Holy Spirit, bring us out of the fear. Give us the humility to admit we don't know everything we need to know about Jesus. And help us enjoy the freedom that he has purchased from us. Help us not to, 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 to oppress ourselves with the yoke of legalism. Help us to live as beloved sons and daughters of a good king. Help us to navigate this life as sons and daughters, beloved sons and daughters, in your power, in your strength. Yes, we walk in the valley of shadow of death, but we do not do it alone. You live in us, Holy Spirit our counselor, our helper, the one who reminds us of all truth, the same spirit that, that came at Pentecost back in, in Acts 2. It's a, you're the same spirit today doing the same things you've been doing for centuries. You're not tired. You're not old and dried up. You're, you're, you're still young, still doing what you do. So, Spirit, help us to be sensitive to your power in us. Give us more of it so that we can navigate the places where we truly live, so that we can believe the truth of God's word, so that we will rest in the good place, rest in our identity in Christ, rest in our sonship and daughtership, rest in the grace that is freely given, rest in your acceptance of us, Father. There's nothing we have to prove. Christ has already did it all. Let us rest. In Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Will y'all please stand for uh, the Lord's benediction. Again, happy Mother's Day to all the moms. And, and please greet one another uh, with an elbow bump before you leave. And if you are a guest, first-time guest, thank you so much for, for being with us on this Lord's Day. Uh, Lord willing, hopefully we see you again next week. Now, here's God's benediction to his beloved. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And all God's people said, Amen.